0: Good morning, not a massive psalm, but certainly massive in content, Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, Lord, my eyes are not haughty, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself, I am like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child I am content, Israel. Put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Amen. It's really, yeah, it's really great to be with you, folk, this morning. So thanks. um, Thanks for having me. Please join me as I pray. God in heaven, please speak to each of us this morning. I pray that you would help me, Lord, to speak truthfully and helpfully. Help us to grow in our knowledge of what is true about you, God and also about us, who we are as people. Lord, uh, we need you. We ask that you would be our teacher. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be our guide, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I used to live in India. I used to live in Thailand, but before that, we lived in India. My family was running a Jesus ashram. Now, an ashram is an Indian term for a monastery, and uh, our Jesus Ashram was a place for hippies, travellers, spiritual seekers from all over the world who were on a spiritual journey, looking looking for truth, looking for God. Um, they were great years and have lots of great memories, but running a community for people so that they can have space to learn and to study and to reflect and to meditate on the Bible doesn't mean that we, as the facilitators who ran that space, it doesn't mean that we could get all that much rest. So once a month, I used to go to a local guest house for a 24-hour retreat. I remember checking into a hotel once. The manager gave me a couple of choices. He said, you can have this room here. And so I Opened the door, looked in, realised that it was very noisy because it was near the main road. So he said, you can have this room over there. So I looked in and realised it was very noisy because it was near a main road. So I said, I'll have the noisy room, please. Walked in. The next thing I noticed is that it was really ugly. The decor, um, the paint, but most of all, the bright, bright fluorescent tube lights that were just like, living in a laboratory and the third thing that I noticed is that outside of my room in the corridor must have made an excellent place for a cricket pitch because that's the only reason how I can explain why there was so much noise all through the day and into the night as well. As I sat down for my retreat I was a bit flat and I'm thinking oh this is meant to be a place of rest and refreshment good luck with that Brendan. The question of how to find rest for our souls is what every spiritual path seeks to answer. And so this morning what we're going to look at is the Christian scriptures and what they say about this topic of soul rest. But before we move to Psalm 131, this psalm is actually an ancient song. It's from a group of psalms that were called the Songs of Ascent, as in going up. It's about 3,000 uh, 3, years old, and it was uh, written by King David, as in David and Goliath. The, the Israelite pilgrims would sing this psalm uh, as they went up to, like literally up to the top of Jerusalem. Uh, they'd have to do that pilgrimage three times a year, and this is one of the songs that they would sing as they, as they walked on their pilgrimage. So I'm going to read it. It's very short. Uh, the title of the psalm says, A Song of Ascents of David. Now there's a couple of words that are a bit different to what you've got on the, on the projector. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I've stilled and quietened my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. Both now and evermore. So, what I'd like to do is look at this psalm firstly, lived out in the life of the author, King David, secondly, lived out in the life of Jesus, and then lastly, lived out in the life of us. David lived out this psalm imperfectly, Jesus lived out this psalm perfectly but painfully. And for us, I think the word that fits is uh, possibly. It's possible that we can experience the truth of this ancient psalm. So let's start with David. He lived out this psalm imperfectly. He starts in verse 1. My heart is not proud, O Lord, my eyes are not haughty. David starts with what he's not. He's not proud. The opposite of being proud is being humble. David says his eyes are not haughty eyes now haughty eyes are eyes that look down on other people eyes that look down the nose at people that are inferior because you as the haughty one are superior to them why is david humble this great he was a he was an amazing guy if anyone had reason to be you know proud or haughty surely it's uh david he was king over a, a young, great, growing nation of Israel. As a teenager, he'd had this incredible victory over this massive giant. As a king, he was loved. He was treasured by the people of Israel. Here's two reasons for David's humility. First, it's because David lived with God as his reference point for life. If David used other people to measure himself against fellow human beings, as his reference point for success, if he compared his achievements, his strengths against other people, he he would have loads of reason to be proud. He was richer, he was more successful, he was more connected. But David uses God as his reference point. As a kid, I loved looking at the Guinness Book of World Records, and one of my favourite pages to look at was the page... Uh, which talked about the world's tallest people. Now, one thing I love about being a parent is you get to do all the things you loved as a kid. You get to do them all again with your own kids. I remember with both of my kids uh, talking about the world's tallest person. So we looked up the modern-day version of uh, the Guinness Book of Records, which is YouTube, and it says that the world's tallest person is Sultan Kosen from Turkey. He's 2.51 metres tall. He's 8 feet 3 inches. And uh, I got yesterday, I measured myself against the living room wall, and I got out my daughter's ruler, and I realised that if I stand on my tippy toes, I'm still... 10 centimetres short from the top of Sultan Khosem. As we're going through YouTube, we see a clip of the world's smallest person, an amazing Indian actress named Jyoti. And on YouTube, there's a clip where Jyoti meets Sultan Khosem. And it's uh, fascinating to look at. And it got me thinking about David and his lack of pride. So I can, I'm sure you see where this is going. Imagine we are down at the local preschool. Maybe some of you have kids, you have grandkids. Imagining you're at a preschool is not too hard for you, but the rest of us just work with it. There's a bunch of kids, three years old, four years old, and they have decided to have a competition to see who's the tallest. So they puff out their little chests and there's lots of cheating going on. There's kids on tippy-toes all over the place. They are measuring to see who's tallest. And then in walks Sultan Kosin. And these kids are like... This has blown what they thought height, tallness is all about. It has blown that out of the water as they stare up and they realize that their discussions about who's the tallest seem pretty small. That's why David's not proud. He lives each day before God. He knows that compared to God, he is small, he is powerless. Before God, we humans are all on a level playing field. There's no reason that we can boast, we can be proud of our spiritual achievements, of of who we are. If we do, it's like a bunch of kids thinking they're massive while Sultan Kosen walks in. And the second reason why David is humble is because he is aware of his many, many flaws and many failures. David was a messiah of Israel, but he was still a human being. He had some great moments. He did some great things, some great victories, but he had some terrible, terrible disasters. David knows his own heart very well, and therefore he lives with this posture, this attitude of humility. David continues, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Now, please don't hear me say that David wasn't concerned about about things, you know, he's Mr. Relaxed. Ruling a nation, I assume, is a big job. There's uh, finances, invasions, civil wars, famines, the spiritual leadership that David needed to provide. Imagine You know, imagine what his desk looked like. Imagine his inbox. He'd know a thing or two about job stress. But David knows what his responsibility is and what God is responsible for. He knows what he needs to leave to God. So, for example, what if the rains don't come? That's God's business. Will David staying up at night and worrying, will it make the rains come? What about whether the stockpiles of grain that have been, you know, diligently stored, what if they don't last through the season? Again, it's out of David's hands. He does the best he can, but the rest is up to God. Friends, this is one of my most, uh, one of my favorite, one of my my go-to psalms in the scriptures. Why? Because I have spent many hours lying in bed at night speaking this to my soul. My brain is asking the what ifs. What if this happens? And what if that happens? What if, what if, what if? And then Psalm 131. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Now, I would love to be able to tell you that I have learnt my lesson. But sadly, that's not the case. Sometimes I feel like I am going crazy. It's like... I do not concern myself with great matters. But I concern myself with great matters. I do not concern myself with great matters. But I'm so stressed, you know, it's this idea. Trusting in God is so, so hard. But if God loves us, if God is for us, if that is true, we don't have to worry. Our job is to trust, to trust that God has everything worked out, every detail and David says, the wonderful result of letting God be God is a quiet soul, a still soul, soul rest. In verse 2, but I've stilled and quietened my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. It's a, it's a lovely image, but when I first started reading the scriptures as a young man, this image is actually different to what I thought it was. I didn't know much about it. Uh, weaning babies, I assumed that this image was of a nursing baby, a breastfeeding baby snuggled up with its mama and feeding happily. But the image here, the happy soul, it's not compared to a feeding baby. It's compared to a baby who's been weaned off, deliberately trained off the need for mother's milk. When our son was feeding, he had the, name, uh, the nickname crocodile. It wasn't so much that he would use his teeth like a crocodile, but I'm sure there's uh, ladies out there that um, know what that's all about. He would pull this face when it was time to be, basically whenever my wife was around. He would open his eyes wide. He would have his hands outstretched and his mouth would be wide open. He was desperate. Give me, give me that milk. Now, it's a beautiful picture. And for those of you that have you know, fed babies, you've got your own uh, special stories. But I remember my friend, uh, Rachel, speaking about this psalm. Rachel has uh, five children, five kids. She said it was so lovely when her kids were weaned off milk because they would cuddle into her. Not for the milk that they would get from her. They would just snuggle in for her. There was no more grasping, no more demanding. Just rest a little one with her mother, just at complete ease. And that's the picture that David uses to describe the state of his soul. He's not proud. He's not puffed up. He's not grasping for more. But he's safe. And happy with God. To have a quiet soul when you're on annual holidays, and I hope that a bunch of you have had a chance to have some holidays over this uh, season. To have a quiet soul on annual holidays is one thing, but what about when your kids are late for school and they are about to make you late for work? We get to the last verse of this Psalm. David calls on all of his people to put their hope, put their trust, put their very lives in the hands of God. In verse 3, he says, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and evermore. I'm sure David is saying uh, to himself, as, as much as to everybody else, so rest is found in God alone. So that's David. Our next two are going to be shorter. Let's look at how Jesus lived out this psalm. David was the imperfect Messiah who needed a perfect Messiah. Jesus was that perfect Messiah. He lived out this psalm perfectly, but painfully. Jesus learnt the way of the quiet soul in the very noisy, hostile schoolyard of the ancient world. There's been a lot written about Jesus uh, since he was born two millennia ago, but it stunned me to realize the first thing that would have been written, which affected Jesus personally, was just after that first Christmas when Herod wrote a death warrant for all young babies. Jesus spent the first years of his life on the run as a refugee in Egypt. And as we fast forward from that time 30 years, when Jesus began his public teaching, the people were completely divided about what to think. In Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, the people tried to throw him off a cliff, but his end was not to come yet. In that context of trouble and strife and hostility, Jesus maintained a quietness of soul and had his trust in his heavenly Father. In the midst of all that busyness, all of those demands, all of those people pressing on Jesus, he would stop, he would withdraw, and as it says, this word of finding a quiet place, a lonely place. In the evenings or in the early mornings, Jesus would go and he would be alone with his father. May we learn from Jesus in this regard. But I want to look at two times when Jesus' soul was not quiet. Because in the events that led to the turmoil, to the unrest of Jesus' soul, is where we find rest for our own souls. So the first occasion is on the night before his death in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knew exactly what the next day would bring. But as he contemplated that separation from his father, the pain was too much. And Jesus prayed with tears and in agony, Father, is there any other way? But each time he added, But God, not my will, your will be done. And when the crowds came to arrest Jesus later that night, Jesus once again chose the way of trust. He chose the way of the quiet soul. Now, the last time where we see Jesus' soul in agony was as he hung on the cross. The physical pain was nothing compared to the spiritual pain that Jesus endured as he, the innocent one, the perfect son of God, carried the sin of the world on his shoulders and therefore the punishment of being cut off from his father. And Jesus screamed out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is not a scream of confusion. Jesus knew who his God was, but it was the scream of a broken and anguished soul. But Jesus endured. He endured being cut off from the Father so that we could be embraced by God. He faced this agonizing torment of his soul so that we could have soul rest. And Jesus' last words were from, from a broken body, but a quiet soul, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This psalm was worked out in the life of Jesus perfectly. Perfectly but oh so painfully. And so the question now is for us. How does this psalm fit into our lives? It's possible. But I want to ask you a question. Have you found soul rest? I mean, do you really experience soul rest? Not just theologically rested, not just theoretically rested, but experientially, do you have soul rest? The beautiful picture of a child curled up in her mother's lap at peace and content, does that mirror your own soul? Now people, I'm always fascinated by how people uh, seek to find soul rest There's a story of a man who was determined to use a calculator and do 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1. If I was to go on for 32 years, I would reach his goal of counting 1 billion on a calculator. That was his life's passion, that was his driving vision. How do we find soul rest? Now, there's a beautiful logic to this psalm because I've really looked at it a lot, and I just want to step back and, and, and point that out. This psalm says that we should be humble and we should let God be God over every part of our lives. And where we're not doing that, where we are anxious, where we don't have peace in our souls, that's a thing that God might wean us from. According to Psalm 131, God will wean us. Why will God wean us? So that we have our hope in God and in God alone. But being weaned is a difficult process for a small child and uh, it's difficult for the parents as well. There's tears, kids and parents, but it's part of growth. It's part of children becoming independent, becoming, being able to stand on their own two feet. How much more will God, our heavenly parent, wean us, teach us, grow us so that we will trust fully in him? So what I'm saying is that our anxiety in life, that anxiety that, that I struggle with, that you struggle with, that we struggle with, you know what it is, That anxiety in life is actually a sign of something that God might want to wean you from. Is there something that you need to be weaned off at the moment? Do you work to feel important? Do you do ministry here at church to feel important? And therefore... If it's so important, if something or someone stops you from working, well, then that's completely unacceptable and they deserve. They deserve the righteous anger that you would give them. Are you a yes person? Because having someone who's upset with you, having someone who doesn't like you, having someone who thinks badly of you is just so devastating that you will seek to... Placate that person. There's no rest in those things. God might wean us. Do you worry about finances? Do you worry about kids? Do you worry about job security? Whatever's at the root of that anxiety, God might wean you from that. And... If you are really stubborn, it can get very painful. I know a guy who was so stubborn that God weaned him from his ministry team. Then he was weaned uh, from his whole ministry. And that ministry was his life's work, career, passion, vision, dream, um, his identity was wrapped up in that ministry. He was weaned from being able to hold up uh, his children as a wonderful example of, of, you know, of, of growing Christian leaders. He was weaned off his health through a leukemia diagnosis. He was weaned from being the missionary uh, poster boy of his Bible school. He was weaned uh, of friends friends He was weaned of community, and because he was still so stubborn, he nearly lost his marriage. This guy, so thick, so stubborn, is named Brendan Riley. But so loved and so pursued by God is Brendan Riley that God was willing to wean me, willing to take away just about everything that I stood on until I realised that it was about God being number one, not me. It was actually about elevating the name of Jesus, not about elevating myself. Now, I don't want to presume That every loss that you've experienced or every loss that you're going through is because God wants to wean you from something. I don't, I don't want to make that equation. There's so much that goes on in the world. Very recently, I had the privilege of sitting with a Palestinian Christian man who was born in 1946, the same year as my mum. We had an amazing, wonderful, raw, honest uh, conversation. He told me that when he was two years old, the Palestinian people went through uh, what is known as the Nakba, which means the catastrophe. In 1948, their land uh, was taken from them, and they were corralled into three uh, ghettos that the Palestinian people have lived in for the past 75 years. Since October last year, the Palestinian people have experienced their second Nakba, a loss so profound in Israel and Palestine that this man that I spoke to, intelligent, passionate, godly, mature, beautiful man, he had been rocked to his core and he said, I am struggling, but I will trust in the Lord. Maybe your situation is a type of Nakba, a catastrophe, a suffering that seems so completely devoid of any meaning. You have no idea why God is allowing it. You have no answers. You barely have the faith to stand. But friends, can I remind us all of another Palestinian man who experienced the greatest and most terrifying Nakba of all at the cross. Because of his love for you and for me, he endured. He suffered. He lost everything. He went through the catastrophe of his soul so that we can have soul rest and never have to lose it ever again. As we go through this life and as we suffer, Let's remember him and let's have peace. With Christ, we are heading to glory. It's a glory that's going to make all this suffering seem so small in comparison. We have Christ. He is faithful. He sees us. He loves us. He will never leave us. He will never abandon us. So rest, O soul, and put your hope in him. Both now and forevermore. Let's pray. Our Lord God, may we know this rest. I pray for anyone here that has lost sight of your love or for anyone that is struggling to know your grace at the deepest parts of their life. Lord, give them courage give them reassurance reveal your goodness your grace your patience lord make these things crystal crystal clear to us lord would you wean us from false drivers from anything that we have as the bedrock foundation of our life that is not the lord jesus jesus you gave up everything so that we can gain everything. May we go in your strength. May we go in your peace. We thank you for your love and for the quiet that you offer us. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.